Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Well, thank you, Mike Ross, and it was so nice to see you in person at the Leafs home opener on Wednesday night in a win over the Habs. Welcome to Leafs Guy Season 2, Episode 1. Yes, Guy, a new season is here. The Leafs are 1-1 one one so far and plenty to talk about. Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey and NBC Sports Edge is our guest. And before we get to Gus, let me pass along this little tidbit of information. Another week of the NFL season means another shot to win big at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. Now, fun fact, the last 0-0 tie in the NFL was in 1943, so I'd have to say this is a no-brainer. Oh, yes, guy, it is. If Sportsbook isn't available in your area, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. You can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So, ladies and gentlemen, here is the call to action. Here's what you have to do. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code THPN. What is it? Test to follow. THPN. Throw down $1 in any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. That's the promo code THPN. What is it again? THPN. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Eligibility restrictions apply. I see DraftKings.com for complete details. All right, on to the hockey story. So, 2-1 opening night, 3-2 loss in Ottawa on Thursday night. And, you know, the first 10 minutes of both games, flush material. What the heck happened? The answer, not much. Totally disorganized. Goaltenders Campbell in game one and Morazic in game two stood in their head. I mean, they kept this game close. The, the game on Thursday night in Ottawa should have been a blowout, but... Morassic prevailed, and then he got injured late in the second period, which opens the door of questioning. Anyway, there's plenty to go over here. We've got two games for a sample size, and it's not 82, but it is two. And here is the conversation with Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey and NBC Sports Edge. (laughs) 
All right, Gus, two games in the books, then clearly the starts weren't there. But let's let's go with probably, the, the I think, the biggest positive here is the special teams. They look pretty good, don't they? Well, you needed them to be good. I think that after the disaster that the power play displayed last year, starting off hot um, and then just fizzling towards the end, um, one of the biggest things that I wanted to see going into the season was to make sure that they changed formations. They did something that made them less predictable. The talk prior to the season opening was um, how they moved Mitch Marner into the middle. So there's a benefit there. There's also a negative um, effect on that. I just feel that you might take away a little bit of Marner's um, passing capability from the wings. Um, but the predictability factor is the biggest issue. So one of the things that I felt from Toronto last year was they spent way too much time shooting from the wings. So in the first two games on all the power play opportunities, what you're seeing is a lot more movement in front of the net, a lot more movement from the bumper, which is the Marner position in the middle. Um, and they're, they're, they're spreading out the offense. Um, you saw Jason Spetz's goal that actually emerged from the blue line um, with a lot of traffic in front. So it looks right. like the Leafs are actually trying something a little bit different and hoping that they get much better results. So I don't expect them to be 40% efficient in the first month and then fizzle towards the end. I just want to see some consistency. So last, the last point that I think that we should make specifically for the power play is William Nylander needs to be on the power play. And when Matthews gets back, they have to find a way that they're able to integrate him into the power play. Um, he's just so dynamic and he can play a variety of different positions. The Leafs tried to do a lot of Royal Road passes to Nylander last night. Um, and I thought that that was really effective. A Royal Road pass is it's an imaginary line that cuts um, the offensive zone into two. And it the data and studies have shown that making passes from one side of the ice cross ice to the other, it focuses the attention of the defense, it changes the goaltender's position, it creates gaps and seams. If Toronto yeah. can really do that a lot more, then they're going to have a much more effective power play. Um, it's good to see that they didn't allow any shots on goal during the power play. That was another issue that uh, uh, I felt that that they really needed to address. And the one issue that I think they still need to figure out is zone entries. Their zone entries aren't clean, they're not crisp, and they can't set up on, on, on what they're doing prior to getting the puck into the zone. I think that that's the one area of weakness that they still have to figure out. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I like what they're doing when they're in the zone. Getting there looks the same as it did last year. It's um, almost like a stutter step. Um, it's tentative, uh, still looking, searching for who to throw the drop pass to. So, I mean, there's no there's no element of surprise there, that's for sure. And we see um, a lot more uh, experimentation, I guess you can call it. You can see, like, there's like 12 different players that have had at least 10 seconds of power play time. Um, it's not like they're trying to do something and say, okay, this is how we're going to do it. There's a lot of experimentation, which I think is really, really required, um, especially when you get into teams, because Toronto's played Ottawa and Montreal. They've seen them multiple times from last year. When they start getting into teams that they haven't played in over a season, um, they're going to have to make sure that they can change things up and react accordingly uh, to the type of competition that they're going to face. The Bostons, the Tampa Bays, the improved Florida Panthers, et cetera, et cetera. All of that is going to require a lot of adjustments. Um, and a power play, I think, is the biggest point where they're going to have to make those adjustments. So it was nice to see that at least they, they seem to be on the same page. They want to try new things and experiment. Let's just see how far away that goes. Yeah. Um, what else was I going to say? Uh, just as a, sort of a sidebar, you were talking about the uh, uh, the lateral passes. Uh, in game one against Montreal, the Habs really went to town on that, on five-on-five. On five. I was surprised at that. Well, it, this, this is actually kind of interesting because uh, these are concepts that 
really have taken effect through the course of studying data. Montreal has their own data side. Toronto has their own data side. Montreal understands that that's the way that they can generate more scoring, um, especially with a depleted lineup. No Mike Hoffman. Their their, their offense is kind of in, in shatters. Um, so they're trying to generate scoring by using tactical advantages. Toronto has to adopt that. They've done a lot of that type of adoption at five on five. Now they just need to integrate that at five on four. Okay, since you said five on five, how would you rate the least five on five play? Well, I think that they're still trying to find out where their optimum lineups are. I mean, we look at Pierre Engball, and he's had a phenomenal preseason. He really smashed yeah. towards the end of the preseason. He comes and scores in the first game and then commits errors. Those errors kind of spilled over into the second game. So I think that there's a fluidity amongst the forwards, and I'm just focusing on the forwards at the moment, uh, yeah. that requires coaching to to probably have to juggle some things. Obviously, without an Austin Matthews, you see a very different type of lineup. Um, at the same time, what I think I've seen is uh, teams are starting to understand Mitch Marner a little bit better. I think that oh, he'll get his points and he'll be effective. Um, you could see Montreal playing him different. You could see Ottawa trying to pay him different. And what we didn't see was emergence of William Nylander. I think that Nylander has really emerged over the last few games as a real leader at 5-on-5. Five five. Uh, might be a little bit less of a uh, uh, exiting the zone and, and trying to focus so much on the offense. They seem to be a little bit more structured. But they were good enough defensively last year that they laid enough of a foundation that now they can experiment up front. And with all the players that they kind of brought in in the offseason it's going to take a little bit of time probably five to ten games for the coaching staff to really find their rhythm and figure out uh, where each player should play um, there are some really big bright spots Andre Kashi I think really highlighted um, yeah. what he can bring to Toronto yeah um, he can also play either wing. I think that flexibility is huge. Um, I've been very impressed with Michael Lamadio. Bunting has really proven that he should take over that first line left wing when Austin Matthews gets back. He's got physicality. There's a feistiness there. There's a scoring effort. Um, so give him that opportunity. What that does, though, is it pushes Nick Ritchie down the lineup. And I'm not really sure whether Ritchie, uh, Nylander, and Tavares is an effective enough unit. So I think that this is where the coaching staff is going to have to start to learn where do these players really fit and where can we optimize them in our lineup. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I like the camp cash up and, and Engvall line. Certainly in game one, it was their best line. And they just seemed to uh, have their identity right away. They knew what to do. And, and you know, quite frankly, Engvall and cash both have great shots. They're, they're penetrating shots. So I like that. And I think maybe by the end of game two, you're wondering, they started to move Kerfoot around and Amadio up. Um, and, and so there's you know, just trying to find the right chemistry based on game situation. And I agree with you on Richie. I think Bunting's, um, I've, I've said this from the start, he plays at the right pace. Richie's a great hockey player, but it, but for the Leafs, it's all about the pace. And I, and I really don't see that out of Richie. I, I, I would suggest to you that, that he would drop down in the lineup, but I don't know exactly where. It's it, it's kind of an interesting thing. So it's going to be interesting to watch really the, the next couple of weeks as everything sort of sifts into its right place and, and, and Austin Matthews comes back. The gap that Austin Matthews has left without being in the lineup, though, I know that it's a negative. Obviously, you want your best player in the lineup. But there's an opportunity here for the coaching staff to really experiment, to really change things up, put players into uncomfortable positions just to see how they would react. It's the first 10 games, and every point really matters, especially when you get into those three-point games towards the season for a playoff spot. Um, but you have an opportunity now to mix and match, to put players into un uncomfortable positions. Alex Kerfoot actually is an interesting point because 
in a perfect world, if the Leafs are able to move in the direction that they're moving, Alex Kerfoot seems to be the one element that is going to be misplaced. He can't play on the first line. He can't play on the second line. He can play there intermittently, but he's not a permanent factor there. So is Kerfoot with a really good offensive skill set, a semi at least in my opinion, a semi-decent defensive impact. I think that he's wasted on the third and fourth lines. I think that you might be able to get an asset that might be able to help you a little bit better this yeah. season immediately if you move his contract up. So I think that Kerfoot and what we see over the next five to ten games may determine whether or not he ends his season as, an, uh, as a Leaf. Yeah, and, you know, I go back to the summer and conversations I had in the summer, some of them with you, uh, you know, when they described Kerfoot's job description, no sooner did they do that than they brought in two or three guys to do the same thing. And Camp is one of them and and some of the left wingers because you had him moving around. And and quite frankly, at this point, you know, if there was a serious injury to to Virus or, or Matthews, you would need him. But in a full healthy situation, which you can't predict, I, I totally agree. The contract, not the player, the contract is would, would be a nice move just because it's 3.5. But but you do sort of need uh, some depth there. I, I guess maybe the breaking story might be Amadio uh, in that, you know, I don't know that a lot of people were enamored with him in training camp and, and, and some were stung by the Brooks departure. But you could see that Amadio would, would, could play up and, and, and Brooks would never be able to do that. So, the, I mean, that, that sort of backs up that decision. And, and I don't know where the Amadio story goes, but it's sort of like Kerfoot Jr., isn't it? Yeah, it's actually one of those emerging pictures. We knew that Amadio would, would challenge in preseason. Um, I didn't expect him to make the Leafs off the bat, but um, I'm kind of glad that he did because it does give them more options. And, you know, the other thing about Toronto being more of a defensive unit, um, last year when I said that they, they, they built that foundation, they really were missing players like Kampf and um, um, and Amadio, um, and players that do have a good defensive element. Like, it's nice to be able to plug in a Jason Spezza, and we can talk about Jason Spezza until the cows come home and his impact and the veteran qualities, and he's still scoring for his age and the lack of time. But when you really need a defensive unit on the ice, for whatever reason that is, and you can't put any of your stars out to kind of deflect some of that, you need at least a pairing or a complete line to be defensively responsible. You put Camp in Amadio if he emerges in, uh, any more than he has in the last couple of games, and now you got that solid defensive unit. So it's nice to be able to, to have that type of um, flexibility in the lineup. The other thing is if Toronto starts to falter offensively, especially, and I'm still thinking about the playoffs last year, and they have to start splitting their forwards and, and trying to, to get balance in the right. lineup, you need a defensive stability. That defensive stability begins with Kemp and Amadio and whatever third uh, party goes on the other side. So I think it's a good thing that he's emerged. I also think it's a good thing that Matthews isn't in the lineup because they can experiment and try different things when games really aren't as important as when they start ramping up towards the end of the year. Okay, so let's split hairs here. Let's go back to your original concern about Marner. Not really a concern, but how teams, Ottawa and Montreal, divisional teams are playing him differently. Uh, So question A is, are they playing him differently because Austin Matthews isn't there? And question B is, is, uh, if it continues, sorry about that, if it continues, would you, is the answer to move him down on the lineup, which is a tough thing to do because he's an all-star right winger. But you you don't want to be, I mean, you want him to produce, right? If you have two $10 million players, they each should be driving play on a separate line. So I get loading up uh, Marner and Matthews, and obviously it's a really strong tactic, and you can kind of do that. But if they're struggling, 
And if you need to find balanced scoring, you need to be able to move your stars up and down the lineup. So I think that Marner is the main focus here just because of not just the play uh, uh, during the off, um, during the playoffs last year. Teams understand that he likes to carry the puck. He likes to hold on and, and, and try to um, create offense all on his own. So if he's able to do that on a separate line, that's fantastic because now the Leafs have more balance. But if they're keeping them together with Matthews, then it kind of takes away a little bit of that offensive balance. So if teams are starting to key in and they see that Marner really do, does like to just handle the puck that much more, they're just going to be that much more on them. Um, it's going to – I'm going to say – theoretically it should uh, lower his productivity. I don't think it will just because the Leafs are talented enough to be able to score points, et cetera, et cetera. But productivity and impact are two different matters. While Marner will have lots of productivity, his impact isn't as heavy as we expect it to be for a player making $10 million. So to your point, do you move him down the lineup? It's a $10 million player on a third line. Do you start limiting minutes and just giving him more power play time? There's a mix here that I think that they that coaching staff really needs to address. There's no way that Marner's going anywhere. I don't think that he's going to be driven out of town or anything like that. But he needs to be used in a much better fashion. And above and beyond just playing with Austin Matthews, if he can't play on his own line and help drop offense on that own line, um, then Marner isn't as much of an asset as a little bit of a liability. If that's really the case, then you give the ice time that he should be getting to players that are really performing. I keep harping on William Nylander because he's been the biggest impact offensively in Toronto over the last couple of games. And I think that that's just going to um, going to maintain uh, momentum. He's been that good for the last two years. There's a point where the, the conversation has to shift. Is Marner the focus or is Marner the liability? Okay, so let's go back to the original premise. When Austin Matthews is his center, uh, does that mean that uh, you know they can't shut Marner down as they have or at least play him the way they have? Yeah, you, you look at it. Hmm. I think that the focus goes more on Austin Matthews and everything else is just kind of peripheral. It's just nice to be able to have such a player as talented and skilled as Marner because it just enhances uh, Matthews' ability to score. And I say that because it's Matthew's ability to score. Marner isn't a natural goal scorer. He's a playmaker. Um, so if he doesn't have any natural finishers, then there's an issue there, right? You can't you can't have a player that just continuously tries to make plays, but there's no finishing quality. So having Matthews there um, obviously enhances the productivity, and that's why I said productivity versus impact. So if you take Matthews out of the lineup, and we've kind of seen it over the last couple of games, um, the finishing ability just isn't as evident. So Marner's productivity is going to suffer as well. We don't need to get into that kind of a, a nasty situation because over time, um, that's when you start seeing fans going, okay, you're getting paid X amount. Uh, we are Our expectations are that you are able to do things on your own. You don't need Austin Matthews in order to be productive. And if that's the case, then exactly just what are you doing to provide positive impact to this team. Okay, it's a sample size of two games as we record this, and both mirrored the last three games they played against Montreal in the playoffs. They did not start well. I just, I can't, uh, you know, I just, I don't understand how, how that could happen. Uh, I mean, who is that on? What, like, what, how do you fix that? Two things that I think I've, are, are consistently problematic in Toronto. One, those, those, really soft starts. That's on coaching. Coaches need to get their players ready. They need to be ready to go when the puck drops. Um, and at the same time, too, um, my biggest concern with Keith's coaching is that when they're in a situation where they're 
behind. It seems like the only um, resort is to load up a line with all the offensive talent. So that's fine in instances, and he seems to like doing that after a penalty kill and all that kind of stuff. But if your only resource or resort is to load up your lines because you just haven't been able to score more, I think that that's a, lot, uh, a, a very big negative. You need to be able to provide some of that balance. And the balance just isn't there if they're just loading up lines with Matthews and Marner and Nylander and, and Tavares. So those soft starts are on coaching the tactics that they use are on coaching. So I think that there's a huge, huge impact that coaching is not currently providing. They need to be better off the bat um, and they need to be consistent throughout the entire game. It's nice to know that, yeah, some teams will come out and they'll, and they'll be on fire for the first few minutes, you weather that storm and then you go over. But you can't do that consistently. At some point in time, you're going to start getting goals scored against you and you're playing from behind on a consistent enough basis. You can try to outscore your problems and that will happen in, in instances, but you're not going to be able to do that over the course of an entire regular season. And you can't let this kind of mentality of soft starts permeate through the entire season because it's just going to spill over into the playoffs where the games are just that much more important. And if you start getting scored against early off in the game, um, the mindset starts to change. Your mentality starts to change. You're always playing from behind. Coaching needs to do a much better start to get them ready to play when the puck drops. Okay. Well, what's problematic for me is, that, I mean, it's two divisional teams. They know you very well. And, and um, actually, as, as I'm at the game, uh, the Montreal game, I, I see that Montreal, as I said before, has the uh, the lateral passes. So they're, they're following their game plan, which you would always accuse Montreal of doing that when they play Toronto. So, so that's a coaching thing. I don't think there's any way to dodge that one. And now you're talking about uh, the game the other the the following night in Ottawa, where they're they're playing Mitch Marner differently. And again, the soft started the goalie bailed them out on both nights. Uh, and again, that is DJ Smith saying, "Here's what we're going to do," and they do it. Well, we we don't see that from the Leafs, and, and that is a problem, isn't it? Yeah, there's a there's a difference between Ottawa, Montreal, and Toronto as far as stages of development, too. Toronto's supposed to be a contender. They're supposed to be ready to go and contend with the best of the best in the NHL. Are they there? I think that that's still a yet to be determined because we need to see where this roster really goes. Ottawa is in one of those youthful exuberance instances where... We don't care whether we win or lose. They could talk about being competitive all they want. They're still in a bit of a rebuild mode. So, in fact, all it is is you guys got a lot of kids, a lot of youth. Go out, have fun, do things, experiment. You know what I mean? Be structured, yeah. but have fun. Montreal is kind of in the middle there. They're supposed to be good enough to go to the finals, kind of like they did last year. It's a bit of an anomaly. Um, they're not supposed to have that youthful exuberance, but yet they've injected a lot of youth in Caulfield and Suzuki, and you could see the transition to a more youthful roster. So it's interesting to see all three teams in different phases of their development, and are they kind of living up to where they're supposed to be? Montreal, again, this is two games in, they, they lost to the lowly Buffalo Sabres 5-1 last night. Their goaltending is an issue. Their penalty kill and their power play is an issue. So it's interesting to kind of see where they are. Toronto should be the best of the best in this instance, but yeah. if you play them hard enough, are they really the contender that we're expecting them to be? 
Well, and, and let me let me just spin this around. If you're in Montreal prepping for Toronto, if you're in Ottawa prepping for Toronto, um, you know that your roster, uh, based on what you have, you pretty well have to play it one way. Uh, you know, for the Habs, you have to do all the little details, and and you work on things like the lateral pass down deep to get the goalie moving, and 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 uh, and the the Leafs' defensive zone coverage isn't very good at this point. So you know what you have to do, and the reason that you know what you have to do is if you don't do it. You're not going to win very many games. And the same would go for Ottawa. You know, it's all right to say, yeah, go have some fun. But they know that that it, if they're going to move up the standings, if they're not going to be a bottom feeder, they have to have some structure and play a certain way. I don't know that you would say that about the Leafs. Do, do they have to play a certain way? They should have to play a certain way. But I don't know that, that that's, that's what comes out of the dressing room. Well, I think that what we've seen from Toronto over the last – three years, save for a few games where Mike Babcock was about to be fired, that's kind of the style that I think that you're going to see out of Toronto. You see a highly potent offensive style, a lot of neglected defensive uh, uh, assignments because they know that they can kind of cheat um, and get to an offensive opportunity. I don't think that the, um, the identity of the Toronto Maple Leafs is fairly clear. Really make sure to uh, um, take advantage of the transition. Use your offensive capabilities. Really put the other team on their heels. They've had to tighten up defensively, and that's kind of what we saw last year, and it's we'll call it the first full season for Keefe, um, which kind of took a little bit away from that offensive um, spark and the transition. But they are playing the type of game that Toronto has to play in order to be effective. Ottawa, I think, is playing the type of game that they need to be effective, although with limited expectations. Montreal is still relying on that, that kind of turtling um, transition game that really made them effective in the playoffs. You know, that's fine in a playoff series where you're kind of consistently playing against the same uh, same opposition, uh, but that's not going to work over 82 regular season games with travel against different components, et cetera, et cetera, with a depleted lineup and without your star goaltender. So we're seeing three teams in different phases yeah. uh, and they all are starting to really form that identity. That's going to take them through to the rest of the regular season. Guys, let's wrap it up this way. We haven't talked much about the defense. So the zone coverage at times was spotty, uh, you know, and that can be on the forwards too. You know, you don't want that gap there, but, but I didn't like their play in their own zone. Uh, just their coverage. I thought was weak. Yeah. I think for the first two games, uh, you know, uh, you're right. It was absolutely weak. There was a lot of missed assignments and there was a lot of gaps specifically between forwards and the defense. That was problematic in the waning days of Mike Babcock. Um, and it was problematic when Sheldon Keefe took over. They made that gap better and you kind of saw improvements, um, but there's still holes. Some of that I really do need to kind of uh, attribute that to rust. You kind of saw, okay, you know, in a better situation when everybody's ready to go, um, these little items don't come into effect. Um, you'll see better coverage. You could have individual players pointed out. I saw lots of mistakes by Travis Dermott. I saw lots of mistakes by Justin Hall, but I saw mistakes from Riley Muzzin and Brody as well. And things that I wouldn't have expected them to do when they're in the thick of things during the regular season. Um, so I'm going to chuck a little bit of that up to just regular season, the beginning of the year, everybody trying to find their way at the same time. You know, if you miss the playoffs by one point, you could pinpoint to these games and say you could have had better coverage. It doesn't have to be a world beater as far as defensive concern is, 
but you do need to be better. So I think that the coaching staff needs to go in and say, guys, let's stick to our structure. Let's make sure that we're getting to pucks. Don't leave gaps. Make sure that there's no coverage errors in our defensive zone and give our goaltenders, which is still a little bit of a, a question mark, the ability to prove themselves and give them a chance to to steal a game or two from us, uh, for us. There's, there's, there's lots of questions defensively that we get to discover. Um, the issues that you brought up are, are clear and real. Those are things that coaching staff has to kind of video out with the players. Um, and hopefully we'll kind of see a little bit of a transition away from the sloppiness and back into effective structure. Yeah, you know, what we're talking about here is making life easier for yourself as, as opposed to difficult. You're talking about, uh, you know, making the playoffs. I'd be talking about home ice in the first round. You know, all the teams that, that win, uh, they don't win in spite of themselves. They win because they've, they've controlled their fate and, and go about uh, business in an orderly fashion, and that's what we're trying to clean up here with the Leafs. Um, I'm just going to throw out the goalie thing. I thought Jack Campbell was stupendous. Peter Marek was uh, but. The, and because of the history last year with the other two guys, you know, that groin uh, stretch thing, uh, I mean, who knows where that goes? You just hope it's a it's a quick heal. Goaltending is problematic. Um, I, I really don't know how to assess goaltenders very much. I think that there's a lot of team play that affects the way that they do it. But let's take a look at the goals from last night. Um against Ottawa, uh, you have Peter Morazic that allows two goals without anything coming off a stick. One goes off a foot, one goes off right. a leg. You can't really blame him for the goals, and he was decent enough after that, um, but then he ends up getting hurt, and Campbell comes in and plays the knots in place of relief. So I think what we're going to see from Toronto is a goaltending tandem. Um, I don't think that we'll see one over the other, although if that does uh, happen, I would expect it to be Campbell. Uh, but there's a lot of question marks from Toronto with goaltending, and I'm not sure whether or not we've seen enough to be able to answer uh, where they are and how they're going um, to move forward with that. Last minute of play in this podcast. Well, thank you, Mike. Ross, time now is a factor. So here we go. Lickety split. Yes guy, no guy. You are concerned about the Leafs' slow starts. Well, no guy, because it's only two games in, and I'm not going to tie them together with the three against Montreal in the playoffs. So no guy, not concerned at this particular point. The Camp Kasha Engvall line is the best so far. Oh, yes, guy. I mean, these two wingers, Kasha and Engvall, have great shots, heavy shots, penetrating shots, and Camp knows exactly what to do. I mean, this is this is a nice line, certainly a feature they didn't have a year ago. Yes, guy, no guy. Jack Campbell has made it all the way back. Oh, yes, guy. Hard. Yes, guy. I mean, look at the game he played in the opening night against Montreal. Stupendous. And last night, Thursday night, in relief, uh, Peter Morazic in the third period shut the door. He is all the way back, and certainly good vibes for the Leafs that way. Okay, and final yes guy, no guy for this particular episode. You would give the Leafs a passing grade for their first two games. Oh, I'm going to say no guy. They should have won both games, and they would have won both games if they had started properly. So I know it's early in the season, but guess what? It was early in the season for Montreal in game one, and it was game one for Ottawa Thursday night. So no excuses. These are divisional games. I know they split. Uh, You want more. You didn't get it. You got 50-50. 50-50 is not good enough. So no guy. Hope you enjoyed Season 2, Episode 1 of Leafs Guy. Hope you come back next week for Episode 2.